Amen and amen. Hey, any, any women across the state who can go ahead and testify that Jesus has spoken a better word over your life, over your family, over your history, over your future, any women in the room can help me testify? Come on now. Yes. I love the energy in this room right now. Hey, I want to welcome every campus if you're watching online. We are so excited that you have joined us at New Spring today. And my, my goal is very simple. Um, I want us just to behold Jesus Christ today. That's it. Because there is no better, no better way to spend our time this morning. And if you're just joining us, then let me welcome you to our Women in Jesus series. And ladies, um, I want to talk to us really quick uh, because, spoiler alert, I am a woman. And I want to speak directly to us today and challenge, challenge us a little bit today. That this series is indeed for us, but it is not about us. For if we made this series about us, then everything that we learn in this is at best self-help and at worst self-idolatry. And that's not what anybody wants for you today. And that's not what you need. We are going to gather around the feet of Jesus today and see these better words that we just heard about, what he wants to speak over us. As we, like Brad mentioned week one, calibrate to Christ. So we're going to gather around his feet today, and we're going to do that around one simple question. All right, so we're going to engage in this message together, and I want to go ahead and get our brains swirling around one question, and it's this. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I want us all to just look at that question and think about it for a second. I know everybody's probably running in from every which way this week. Mamas, you got your kids checked into Kids Spring. You got them here. They have some level of clothing on. Well done. But pause and think, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? My whole goal today is to help us answer this question because I really believe this is Jesus' whole invitation. And you see this all through the Gospels. And, you know, our goal in this series is to be wildly biblical. So we're going to get all through the scriptures today. We're going to be wildly biblical. And we're going to mainly be in the book of Luke. Now, in the book of Luke verses, um, excuse me, chapters 8 through 19, this is like Jesus' travel narrative. All right? So his, like, long road to his last days to really the, the cross and the empty Tomb. And in most of those 11 chapters, what you find threaded through all, all of them is this lesson of discipleship. What does it look like to day in and day out follow Jesus? And we see women actively involved in Jesus' discipleship. I want to go ahead and say this. There is more affirmation of women in the Gospel of Luke than in any other book in the Bible. Matter of fact, the four Gospels mention and affirm women more than any other secular writing of the day. Jesus is adamant about showing us that he wants women to be a part of his inner circle, of his discipleship. Even at the beginning of this travel narrative, I love this in Luke 8, it says that there were these women who were with him. We're talking about Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and others. And it says that they were providing for Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. Maranox translation, these women had money, all right? These are like women who have, who have earned a living for themselves but now are generously providing for Jesus and the disciples in their ministry. Women were there with the men actively participating in the ministry. 
watching the miracles, listening to the teaching, listening to Jesus' challenge of the cost of discipleship and choosing to stay anyways. And then we see this beautiful story, this depiction of discipleship in Luke chapter 10 around two women named Mary and Martha, two sisters. Sister, sister, if you're my, from my generation, amen, yes, come on. So Luke 10, we're going to be in verses 38 through 42. It says this, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So here we have the classic Mary and Martha story. You know, I've heard through the years uh, people be like, oh, you're such, a, you're such a Martha. As if this is like a BuzzFeed quiz and Jesus is trying to like pit these women against each other. That's not what ha what's happening here. Jesus is giving great honor and respect to both of these women. Many scholars even believe that Jesus entered her home, Martha's home, because she was a leader in the community, possibly leading a type of house church before church was even a thing. If you notice, it says he entered Martha's house. Not Lazarus's house, Martha's house. She was highly respected by Jesus' followers and Jesus himself. The same word even used here, this, this selfless work that she was doing of serving is used very positively in other passages of scripture by Jesus, even referencing himself. In Matthew 20, verse 28, and Mark 10, 45, he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. It's a positive thing that she's doing. It just was never supposed to become the priority. Scripture says she just got too distracted with it. In Greek, this word is perispato. Did you hear that accent I'm putting on it? It might be more Italian than Greek, but we're trying our best. Perispato, all right? And this just means being pulled or dragged in different directions. That's what distraction means. Now, let me tell you what I love about us ladies. We can do a hundred things all at one time. Yeah, I heard that amen. That's a mama and a grandmama, you know what I'm saying? Because you have all this, you wake up in the morning, I know that running list in your head. You've got the groceries you need to buy that are, you know, running out in the pantry. You've got the budget in your head. You've got the kids' soccer schedule. You've got your babies, uh, your, your grandbabies, your friends' babies, grandbaby schedule all in your head. You're thinking about what the family needs. You have um, your calorie counter going on in your head, which me, I'm like, God said, you know, that whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of the Lord. So I try to do it to the glory of the Lord as much as I can. I'm counting more calories to give him more glory. You know what I'm saying? So... You, it's, it's amazing. Women are superheroes. Mamas, you amaze me. But what Jesus is saying that our ability to do a hundred different things was never meant to be our priority, dare I say, our identity to do a hundred different things. So Jesus is calling us back to the simplicity of one thing through this story. So, what does it mean then? What's Jesus trying to tell us? Let's, let's, let's just focus in on those last two verses again. Luke 10, verses 41 through 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. 
but one thing. Everybody say one thing. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Here's what I would love for you to write down if you're taking notes, if you have the app out and you want to take notes along with us. Disciples are obsessed with one thing, being close to Jesus, period. I've heard this before. If we can say it that flippantly, then we haven't yet heard this. Disciples are obsessed with one thing, being close to Jesus. Can I encourage us this morning, church, that Jesus did not come for mere conversion to Christianity. The term Christian not even showing up until almost a decade later when um, Paul is in Antioch and the term Christian is first used. The only word they had was disciple, and disciple was understood as someone who had been invited into an extremely close, personal, dare I say uncomfortable relationship with Jesus Christ. This, This act that our entire lives would be formed around Jesus alone, that is straight 2 Corinthians 3.18 right there. And my prayer today is that our conversion to Christianity would give way to obsession with just Jesus Christ alone. I want us to be obsessed. You ever been around somebody who's like sickeningly in love? It's like, dear gosh, I've seen him. I mean, he's all right, you know. That wasn't like a subtweet to anybody. But when someone is obsessed They cannot help themselves. All of their thoughts, all of their motivation, all of their words are centered around one person. As disciples, that should be us. Why you got to talk about Jesus all the time? Was I? I? I'm sorry. I'm just obsessed with him. And I think the most beautiful life that you can have is to be obsessed with him too. So in light of what Jesus said to Martha, in light of what he celebrates in Mary, um... I want to get us around actually another scripture today that Jesus, you know, a lot of times he either referenced passages about him in the Old Testament or even straight quoted them. And there's one specifically in the Psalms, in Psalm 27, where this one thing language shows up again. So I'm going to read this. Um, And then we're going to like weave this Old Testament prayer and this New Testament story together and see if we can be discipled by them. Does that sound good, everybody? If you're ready, say amen. All right, so we're going to actually go to Psalm 27.4. Look at this. Oh, my gosh, this is so good. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Those five action words right there, ask, seek, dwell, gaze, inquire, are all centered around one thing, and it's an obsession. So we're going to walk through these five action things today. I'm going to invite us to those five action things, and then we're going to end by just being obsessed with Jesus. So when it comes to this obsession, point number one today, we got to ask for one thing. we got to ask for one thing. Here we have God starting straight at the heart. Much like God to do so, by the way, going straight for the heart. Because this word, ask, can actually be translated to desire one thing. This is all about core motivation. What do you actually want? 
Men, just like when you're asking women, what do you want for dinner? What do you want? Like, I don't care. Yes, you do. Just tell me what you actually want. We know what we want. We just, you know, we want you to know what we want. Anyways, but, you know, I truly believe our core motivation, what we actually want, it can be traced back to the questions we ask about Jesus or to Jesus. Look at the question that Martha asked Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, I want to address a few things here. First of all, notice Martha starts with Lord. There's honor and respect here. She addresses him with the title he deserves. But then look at the next four words. Do you not care? Martha was aware of who Jesus was. But there was a gap in her understanding of Jesus' general lordship and his unique care for her. She, like many of us, had professed Jesus as Lord, but had yet to come to the knowledge that Jesus' care was not just general, it was personal. Lord, do you not care about me? And I believe there's many women in the room today, and you are asking Jesus the very same question. Maybe you feel a lot like Martha. You've, you've been serving, you've been praying, you've been devoting your life to him, and that son or daughter that you've been praying for has yet to come home. And you're like, Jesus, do you not care? There's women in here, you feel like you fought for your marriage. You gave it everything you had. You, you went to the counseling, you, you came to church, you petitioned the Lord, and yet the marriage did not end up the way you wanted it to, and you're asking the Lord, do you not care about me? You're here and you feel like you're holding everything together for your family. You're working, you're serving, and no one's recognizing you. You feel underutilized, underappreciated, and you're asking, God, do you not care about me? And my only point here is to encourage you, man and woman, there is a unique personal care that God has for you. And I'm inviting you today, I cannot promise you that all of your questions will be answered when you get to the feet of Jesus, but I can testify to the fact that I still have many unanswered questions. They've not all been answered as I got to the feet of Jesus, but they have always been calmed at the feet of Jesus. I'm, I'm inviting us back today to sit at the feet of Jesus, be obsessed with him alone, and see he is speaking over you today. If you only knew how much I cared about you. we got to ask for one thing. But not only that, we got to seek one thing. Seek one thing. Um, if you're familiar with scripture at all, you'll notice this progression of prayer is very similar to the guide for prayer that Jesus gives us in Luke 11. If you know it, it's the, hey, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. This, this shows up multiple times in scripture, this progression of ask and seek. And you have to ask why the asking and the seeking, those kind of seem like the same things. But what Jesus is trying to show us and what David's psalm is trying to show us, this guide to prayer is showing us that there is a continued maturing in Christianity. There's a, a continued maturing in Christianity where our desire and our intensity of desire purifies and directs toward Jesus alone. What I'm trying to say is there comes a time where you just stop asking questions of everybody else and you start going to seek Jesus out for yourself. 
If the first point is, hey, what do you want? The second one is asking, what are you looking for? Think about this now. Come on. What are you looking for? When you open your Bible every week, what are you looking for? Is it answers to questions? Is it ammo for the argument you got into with your coworker the other day? Is it just theological depth or is it Jesus alone? When you sit in that very seat on a Sunday or in your living room on a Sunday, what are you looking for? Is it just to feel better when you leave? Is it to just go through a religious ritual? Is it to make sure that the preacher brings a good word because it's been a tough week and they better bring a good one or you ain't coming back next week? Like, what is it? And I'm asking that because I can promise you if you're looking for anything other than just the purity of Jesus alone, you're always going to leave at least a little bit disappointed. I know this because I've tried this. Even look at Mary and Martha. You can see what they were actually looking for based on their irritation level. I'm going to like lovingly step on some toes here. If you're consistently irritated with other people and the Lord, then at some level, you're looking for the wrong thing. I love though, like Martha's like honesty with Jesus is still safe. She's like, Lord, I love the like friendship here. Do you not care that Mary left me to serve alone? Tell her to start serving me. Anybody else try to command the Lord in their prayer life? Yeah, if you haven't yet, you ain't got honest enough in your prayer. Martha had an irritation. Mary had a devotion. Martha had an activity. Mary had a proximity. Martha had an irritation. Mary had an adoration. What are you looking for? And if it's anything other than Jesus, at some level, you're going to leave a little bit disappointed. But then we got to get to number three. We're going to ask for one thing. We're going to seek one thing. And then we're going to dwell on one thing. Dwell on one thing. And for this, I have to ask the question, has anybody ever been invited somewhere they know they don't belong? But like in a good way? So I love to travel. Um, I might have felt mildly stuck in South Carolina for the past few years and may sometimes be losing my mind. Uh, Love South Carolina, you know, God bless it forever, but there's a great world out there that I would like to see. So I love to travel, but I'm always budget seats, right? Back of the plane, buy the toilets, budget discount, flights on your dime.com. Like that's, that's where I'm going. But I have friends, you know, I don't know anything about diamond, medallion, silver, gold, travel member. I'm like tin, paper, grass travel member, okay? But I have a friend who got me into the Delta Sky Lounge one time. Y'all, when I tell you I was walking in there like, yes, I am a CEO of the stocks. I have no idea how they work, but point me to your snack bar. All right, so... You get in there, y'all, everything's free. Well, free, you know, you paid for it, but free to me. So I'm in the snack bar every time, like, the waitress came up, can I get you any more? Yes. Just whatever, yes, you can. More, please. And I was milking that seat for all of it was worth because I knew I didn't normally belong there. I, I was waiting until the last possible moment when my plane left to just sit and milk it for all it was worth because I was sitting in a seat that was not usually afforded to me because I cannot usually afford it. And I say this to say, Mary understood the seat that had been afforded to her. 
<laughs> Back in this day, women were not afforded a seat among the men, much less a seat at the feet of a rabbi with the men. Picture this. You got Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. James and John, John the beloved one, who's always leaning back on Jesus' chest, and then Judas, the betrayer, and then next to all of them, you have Mary, who'd been told since she was a little girl that was never a seat that was going to be available to her. And Jesus said, my girl, you come and sit right here. This is exactly where you belong. She understood how prized the seat that she had was. And my question to us today is, do you and do I? Do we understand how prized the seat we have been given is? Think about it. Hebrews 4 says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Ephesians 2 says that Christ has seated us with him in heavenly places. Are you kidding me? You're telling me Father throne. At his right hand, Jesus throne. And next to Jesus, my throne. Jesus inviting us to see the world from his perspective, to see the world from a kingdom mindset, and to do it all with him, not to go out there for him, but to go into the world with him. Mary got to hang out with Jesus just whenever he came into town. You and I have the Holy Spirit of God walking with us everywhere we go. But too often we just don't slow down long enough to make ourselves aware of his presence. And I'm inviting us today to slow down and make ourselves aware of his presence. Do you understand the seat that you've been given and how prized it is? You know, I've heard another pastor say, and this has been all up in my face. So it's been convicting me, so now I'm going to offer it to you as a sweet conviction. I've heard another pastor say, busyness is artificial significance. That's rude, is what that quote is. Let me tell you something. One thing I love about our country, one thing I love about the South is that we know how to work and work hard. Calluses on our hands, sweat on our brows. But if we don't slow down, then we're going to miss the very heartbeat of Christianity altogether. But this has only ever been about being with him. This is the plan of God from the beginning. Think about it. Brad talked about this week one from the garden to the garden. In the very beginning in, Jesus, in Genesis, God creates man and woman to just dwell with him, to walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. Fast forward to Exodus, you see the very command to Pharaoh through Moses is let my people go so that they can worship me in the wilderness. See how he guides them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that they can know, hey, I am with you. I will guide you. Fast forward to Joshua when he takes over and the, the very command he gives him is, I will never leave you or forsake you. So be courageous. Fast forward to uh, Jerusalem and the temple that is built so that God can have a place to dwell with his people. Fast forward to Jesus is the first proclamation from the angels that Jesus would come and his name would be Emmanuel, God. 
God with us. Fast forward to the very last pages of Holy Writ in Revelation 21, and it says, And I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, God has proven he just wants to be with you. Take a seat. Let that reality wash over you. New believer, rally student, fuse. Someone who's been walking with him 40, 50 years, sit down again and remember this has only ever been about being together. Dwell a little longer so that we can do Number four, gaze upon one thing. Gaze upon one thing. And with this point, I have another question for us. And it's going to poke a little bit, okay? So heads up, going to poke a little bit. In a normal week, what do you look at most? Do you feel that? I felt it the whole time I was prepping, so you have to feel it too. In a normal week, what do you look at most? Now listen, whatever that answer is, that is what is informing your life the most. Because we become what we behold. What we look at, what we scroll through, what we look at at our computer screens, The TV shows we watch, they are forming a type of person in us. And I know many of us don't want to become like the thing we're beholding the most. Look at what it says in Luke 11, 34. It says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Church, I won't linger on this, but can I just encourage us in something? I really think it's time for us to stop explaining away personal holiness by just calling it legalism. There's a standard that God has given us. Be holy as I am holy. And listen, if the immediate thing you feel is shame, that's the enemy, and I rebuke that right now. The fact that the perfect God of the universe would want to share his holiness with us is ridiculous. And I know the church, the church has used rules and regulations as a means over the decades to like manipulate and control. But let me tell you, that is not, just because it has been used wrong in the hands of man does not mean that it is wrong of God to command that of us. Even go look back, go read again with a new filter, the commandments of God. And those commands are paired with, so that it will go well with you. There is a holiness that we've been called to that I'm calling us back to today. And it only happens though, not because that's what good Christians do. It's because when our eyes have landed on the beauty of Jesus, it's impossible to put our eyes anywhere else. I have found something, someone too beautiful to look at to let my eyes rest on that mess. Proverbs 4 says, do not look to the right or to the left, but keep your gaze directly before you. Another way that is translated is don't let your eyelashes even flutter. Do not blink. He's too beautiful and I don't want to miss a thing. You know, I've heard it said before that 
The gospel doesn't primarily give us a duty to fulfill, but a beauty to behold. I love to think about what Mary saw. I'm honestly very jealous of her. I'm being honest. It's cool. We'll talk about it in heaven one day. But I love to think about, like, she knew whether Jesus' eyes crinkled on the sides when he smiled. Now, he was in his 30s, and so am I. I'm in the years of our Lord, so I know for a fact his eyes crinkled. They didn't have beauty counter back then, so I'm sure they just got deeper and deeper and deeper in the sides of his eyes. She knew if his eyes lit up as he started to expound the things of heaven. She knew whether or not his eyes got misty when he was warning them of the things to come. And though it may sound gross to us, she knew what his feet looked like because she sat there. She knew what brand of sandal he wore, whether they were Yeezys or something else. But she also knew like how gross they looked because walking that far, those many miles for years, his feet would have looked a certain way. And I'm sure she thought, I can't believe God would go through that just to be with me. So she stood and she gazed for her whole life. And we know that because of another story in scripture, how we're going to end today with number five, inquire about one thing. Inquire about one thing. Now, inquire here can actually mean to plow, to cleave, or to break forth. This is where the, like, cost of discipleship comes in. The sweat on the brow, the perseverance, the, oh, I just got to get to Jesus at all costs. So I'm going to plow this ground. I'm going to cleave. I'm going to break forth in prayer and in worship to get to the things of God. I know this because we see this in a story in John 12. This is like days before Jesus is about to be crucified, betrayed, ultimately killed. And we see him back with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he's sitting there like normal. And we see Mary who's been gazing upon him, dwelling with him, asking, seeking. And she no longer can help herself but to break forth into extravagant worship says she takes an alabaster jar of perfume worth a year's salary, by the way. So whatever number that just came to your head, think about that. A year's salary and poured that perfume on his feet. It says that she, she got down and she took her hair, which was back then the crown of a woman, and she wiped his feet. Extravagant worship. And then says that Judas called it out and said, this is wasteful. This should have been used to serve the poor. Right here, y'all, what you see, listen, is the difference between a convert and a disciple. The spirit of religion revealed in Judas in that very moment because extravagant, seemingly wasteful worship will always offend the spirit of religion. Judas was a convert for a time. Mary was a disciple for life. She did not care what it cost her. She didn't care how many tears she had to pour out on his feet to wash him. She didn't care how much that perfume cost. By the way, there's no record of Mary ever being married. Maybe this money was traditionally saved up as a, as a dowry of sorts, but she didn't have a husband to pour it out on, but she was going to pour it out on the man who she always felt safest with. 
She was obsessed. And I'm inviting us church today, the Holy Spirit, please forgive us how we have diminished this beautiful relationship with you into just checks and balances or mamas and daddies Christianity. This is an obsession that God is calling us into and I'm inviting each and every one into that same obsession. Simplify it down. You can study and theorize and theology your way straight out of a real relationship with Jesus. Simplify it down today. So in these last few moments at every campus, you're gonna have one worship leader come up, just a piano or just a guitar. We're gonna simplify it down and we're gonna pour it out on Jesus' feet. Ladies, I'm gonna invite you to lead the way here. I specifically feel led to talk to someone you've never known a man you can be safe with. Not only does Jesus wanna meet you today, he wants to heal those wounds, he wants to calm those lies, and he wants to show you what true safety feels like. We're gonna open the front of every auditorium. Ladies, maybe you feel like your emotions aren't safe many places. You've been told maybe you need to quiet your emotions, to quiet your tears. I'm telling you, your emotions are safe with Jesus. You come up here and you pour them out. I have to say this. Over and over again in scripture, we've talked about this the past two weeks. Jesus revealed himself to women first. There's something about us ladies that in the humility of going first, something breaks forth in the spirit. So I'm gonna invite you, come forward. If you need to sit in your seat and just let the goodness of God wash over you, I'm gonna invite you to do that. But y'all, this is all it's ever been about. Us and Jesus, Jesus and us living in relationship. When we seek that first, all the other things are added. So I'm gonna invite us now, every campus, will you stand to your feet? And I'm just invite everyone, men and women, will you just put your hands out in front of you like this? I'm gonna pray for us and I'm gonna tell you, I'm, I'm coming with you on this. I'm gonna come to the front here in Anderson and just ask for more of Jesus. So I'm gonna bless us and then you are free to move while I'm praying, as soon as I say amen, whenever, but let's go after Jesus and let's be found at his feet. Jesus, we love you. We go ahead and we admit right now that there is nothing and no one more beautiful than you. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would wash away, that you would cleanse us of any thoughts that do not line up with the simplicity of just being obsessed with you, God. I pray that any sin we've been fighting would wash away as we stop trying to just simply fight our sin, but we come into your presence and you wash us with your purity and righteousness. Holy Spirit, I pray that every room across every campus, even anyone watching online, would be so safe to worship now however they see fit. However, Holy Spirit, you want to stir your presence. This is what you do, Holy Spirit. You point, look at Jesus. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he marvelous? Isn't he worth it all? And let our spirit agree with your spirit. Yes and amen. Yes and amen.
So we come for you now, King Jesus. So we thank you that we've all been saved to see. Reserved for each and every one of us. Would you meet with us now? It's in your name. Amen and amen.